the three stages of salon suite ownership. And the first one is like, you're kind of thinking about it. Right. And the second one is you sign the lease and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, it's happening. Like that's the startup point. That's the most excitement. That's when you're, you're not sleeping. You have paint on your purse, right? And like you're putting together Ikea furniture and you're just, you're in it. Um, and then there comes, you know, the first day, the first week, the first month, and then you finish the first year and you're like, I'm really tired. And, you know, I think that's when the evaluation kind of comes in the first like year or two. And there are a lot of struggles because you are the only person. And I think something you really have to ask yourself in that first couple of years is what's worth your time. I'm just a hairstylist. How am I supposed to be a photographer, a social media manager, a receptionist, a marketing manager, and an entrepreneur as well? Welcome to the Secret Life of a Hairstylist podcast, where we shatter the term, I'm just a hairstylist, and help inspire you behind the chair. I'm Samantha, and I'm a hairstylist, educator, and salon owner, and I want to help inspire you with tips from how to manage your social media, to how to sell retail, to how to continue a positive mindset, making you more money as a stylist. Every week, I will share my own experiences over the last 10 years, plus bring in amazing experts from all over the hair industry to share their secrets on success. So what do you say? Are you ready to challenge yourself, get inspired, and build your dream business behind the chair? Welcome to this week's episode of The Secret Life of a Hairstylist, where we shatter the term, I am just a hairstylist. I am so excited. I'm here with Alicia. You may know her as Alicia Loves Balayage. We are going to be talking about a whole lot today. We're talking before the episode and we're like, should we make it four hours or uh, how long, how long could we possibly go with this podcast? Um, so we'll try to keep it condensed for you. Um, but the conversation might go a few different places, but uh, the exciting thing about this episode is we are going to be talking about making the shift from uh, commission salon to going into a suite. Um, she is an independent stylist and a stylist mentor. So uh, she, this is right up her alley. So we're going to be talking about that and going into a whole lot of other things. Some of the struggles that we've had uh, in our careers and some of the failures and mistakes that we've made, because really in this industry, we try to make things so perfect on the outside, but we're just going to humanize it. Let's make this like we all make mistakes and that is okay. So uh, we were talking before too about how we both failed our uh, first exams. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, and yeah, so let's just dive right into this episode. Welcome Alicia to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to talk to you. Yeah. So I would love for you just to start off with a little bit about how you got into this industry um, and kind of what led you to where you are today. Awesome. Well, hello everyone. My name is Alicia Hayes. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Alicia Loves Balayage. I am located in the States. I'm in Washington state, just a little bit South of the Vancouver border. I come from a stylist family, like a lot of people, my grandma and my aunt are both hairstylists and when I was in high school, I was the towel girl at a local salon and some of the girls there were like, we think you'd be really good at this. And I had no direction in life after high school. So, um, <laughs> I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go to beauty school and kind of here we are. I've worked in a commission salon, uh, multiple times. I've been an assistant. Um, I've been 
a suite owner now for about six years. I've been an independent educator teaching balayage, and now I am an independent stylist mentor. Um, yeah, it's been a roundabout path and it's fantastic. I'm so excited we're talking about failures because I feel like for the longest time I tried to hide my failures in order to look like I was normal or more successful or something. And, you know, 17 years into my career, looking back, I feel like all of my failures were actually turning points and um, more pushes forward in the right direction versus uh, sitting in the wrong direction. So I'm excited to talk about that. And yes, I did fail my state board test the first time. Um, they don't <laughs> tell you here what you fail on or by how much. So <laughs> who knows what it was, but I was the only person in my group that failed. And I, I am not going to lie. I definitely thought about just like quitting altogether at that moment. And I'm really glad I didn't. So, yeah, it's funny. Well, in ours, so you guys call it state boards. Um, ours are just exams, I think anyways, <laughs> but, uh, we, I, I went to the government office to talk to them about what I had failed. Um, because I was like, I, I don't know where I went wrong. Um, and I had failed the blow dry. That's what I failed. And the excuse they gave me was because I had the wrong type of model, like her hair was too long or something. I guess they were looking for more of like a roller set type of blow dry. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Oh, and you I have real people? Hmm? Did you have real people to test out on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we have a, at least back, back in my day, um, yeah. we had a warehouse that did not have electricity in the outlets. And we had to take Deborah here. You guys can't see on camera, but I have Deborah literally right behind me. Actually, mine's uh, right behind my uh, my computer. So you tell her we're her. having a team meeting right now, <laughs> um, and so we had to actually like curl her in the hotel the night before, so that when you were doing your curling, uh, you know, demonstrating your Marcel iron, <laughs> <laughs> your curls were actually already there. Um, and you had to use the same doll head for like multiple things. It was a whole thing. Um, but they didn't have, like, you couldn't plug in a curling iron because there were so many stations and like not enough outlets. And it's just so weird. That's so wild. Yeah. We had to find models and it was really hard to find a specific person for a specific thing. So luckily I was able to go back and just do the blow dry portion. And <laughs> I went in to do it. And they looked at my exam and they're like, what do you mean? Just the blow dry. And I was like, yeah, just the blow dry. And they're like, how the hell did you fail that? They were so, <laughs> so like, yeah, just coming and do that. But anyways, well, here uh, we are, we made it <laughs> yeah, here. We are 10 plus years later and, uh, killing it. We're, we're doing our thing, but uh, before we like 100% go off topic, uh, let's go on to um, making the shift from a commissioned commission salon to a suite. So what was kind of the decision that made you make that switch into uh, into a salon suite instead of being in commission? Awesome. Um, I love sharing the story and I'll try. I'm very long winded. So I try to keep stories brief, but even when I try, they get very long. Um, so without giving too much detail, I, I worked in commission. I moved out of state. I was an assistant. I quit the industry altogether. 
I had a completely different job in a completely different industry for a couple of years and went back to college and finished my degree. Um, at the end of that time, I, I think being away from hair made me realize how much I loved it and missed it, right? And my old salon was still in the area. I had friends that worked there and they all encouraged me to come back. And I think having time away and growing a little bit in different ways, when I went back, I was like, okay, well, I love this career. I love people. I love what I'm doing. It's when balayage had just kind of started coming out more. Um, more people were learning it and teaching it. And I was like, oh, I love this. Right. And so I was like, okay, I know I'm in the right doing the right thing, but I'm not in the right place. The way the salon operated and the culture and just the person in charge, the management, um, we talked a lot about this before we started recording, but I mean, essentially he was a middle-aged man who had never done hair and had no, no context of like what it takes to run a successful salon or how to manage creative people. And I had a couple of friends who had gone out on their own previously. Only one had gone into a suite because suites were not very popular in our area. And so I started kind of mentioning to her, like, I think I want to do what you're doing and kind of had my eyes open and Instagram had started around that time. So I was seeing other people and how they were operating. And I was like, okay, I can totally do this. I feel, I feel confident in my clients. My clients will definitely come with me. I feel confident in my skills. I do good hair. Like I also, my roundabout way of getting back there was through doing more business stuff. So I kind of knew how it, how to like set up a business, not a specific hair business, but you know, how to take inventory and how to do like random stuff like that. And so there was one suite that had opened in our area within that time. And I just felt like if I'm going to fail at this, I'd rather it be on my terms and fail because of me and not because of someone else holding me back. I wanted to take an independent class, like a, an actual like hair painting with clay, right? Like that was, we, we never had that in our salon because we didn't have clay to paint with. Right. And he didn't understand why somebody would want to have more roots. Um, explaining <laughs> to a middle-aged man, why people like, why we should be charging the same for something that has more roots than not roots. It, it, it was a whole, the conversation was very interesting. Imagine explaining to your father, um, <laughs> or <That's> not going to happen. <laughs> it was just like pulling teeth. So, um, yeah, I, I figured if I was going to fail at having a business or having a career, I wanted it to be me failing. Um, and I wanted to take all the classes I wanted to take, but I also wanted to be able to write them off. Um, which here, if you're an employee, you can't write off. I mean, you can, but you have to have a certain amount at some point to even have it be worth it. And if you're running your own business, you can write off any class you want to take. And so it's like, okay, he's holding me back from being educated in the way that I want to be educated. He's holding me back from the prices I want to charge. He's holding me back from booking my own clients. Um, he's holding me back from, you know, growing as much as I want to grow and I'm totally ready and capable. And so I signed a lease and unfortunately in the place that I was at, if you even whispered about thinking about leaving, you would get fired. Um, so I did not sleep for months. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have a similar experience of like, I mean, and that goes, you don't want to tell in the fear of getting fired, no matter what salon you're really at. Um, some salon owners are very open and, and, and supportive of that. But, um, 
with my, myself and my business partner, we had, we were building our salon on the side. So we would work full days and then at the salon, and then we would go to our other salon and we'd be there till three in the morning building Ikea furniture and (laughs) getting everything ready. And it was funny because there was a couple days where people was like, oh, you look really tired. And I'm like, yeah, just not getting a lot of sleep lately, like trying to play it off. It's just, it's Someone, hard. It's hard, especially if you don't have a supportive salon owner for that. Someone called out that I had paint on my purse. <laughs> You're like, where'd you get, where's the paint from? And I was like, don't worry about it. Trying to be so sneaky. Well, and like, you know, I think a lot of the salon owners who are like the ones that will fire you on the spot are the ones that are afraid you're going to quote unquote like steal all their clients. Um, I mean, he was always like that. And for the record, this man is no longer in business and Mm -hmm. for good reasons, right? Um, And I think pretty much everyone who was in that salon is now an independent stylist. And it's really cool to see everybody kind of like branch out on their own and, and make it, everybody's doing okay. And everybody, the culture was weird because we were all all on the same page um, with what we wanted out of either the salon or our careers or clients or whatever. And so now everybody gets to have their own thing, right? Um, Yeah, I don't know, It it was definitely the right choice at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Uh, last week you were saying how you just didn't have the structures and the like policies and stuff in place. And it just became very disorganized. And I was talking to my business partner about that because we do have a very structured salon. Um, we do have a lot of like systems and policies, policies in place to make it really easy. And sometimes you kind of think like, it's not too much. Should you let them like go do their own thing and figure it out? And, but you were kind of a reminder that it is really important to have those systems and policies in place. And you can run a really successful commission salon based on having those. Um, And had some of your stylists decided, uh, some of the stylists in, in the salon that you were working at decided they could find a salon that had those systems and policies in place or the the culture that they wanted, um, they could be really happy. But it's interesting that everybody went into into the sweet life. And I think that's kind of like just uh, off of where we are. Um, we it's weird because I mean it is a thing in our in in the states and in Washington there are booth rental salons there are commission salons there are places where there's a lot of salons but for whatever reason in our specific like radius there weren't a lot of other salons Mm -hmm. um there's like a big chain salon like a big luxury chain salon nobody really would go back to um there's you know, like the typical supercuts or hair masters. And then there's like maybe a couple, uh, places that are more similar to where I was, which is just like a commission salon, you know, a couple of locations, family owned kind of situation. Um, so I think it, for some cases it was the right move for some other cases, it was maybe the only option. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this a lot with, um, independent stylists that I meet sometimes. And what we've seen also in the last couple of years, sometimes a suite is your only option, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't necessarily make it the right option for a lot of people. It depends on your personality and how you choose to operate. Um, kind of what you were saying about policies and stuff. So that was an issue with the commission salon too, was that, 
um, and kind of one of the reasons I was excited to go out on my own, um, there was no cancellation policy. There was no no-show policy. There's, I mean, I think for everyone back then there was no sick policy. We all talked <laughs> it out. Um, but like, if you think about, I was looking at like some Facebook memory popped up and it was like, my whole day canceled guys, who wants to come get their hair done? Mm. And like thinking about how much money I lost from just not having policies. Yeah. I think what's kind of, I mean, as much as COVID has sucked to have to deal with in the whole pandemic, but the beautiful like thing that came out of it is these conversations are happening so much more about, oh shoot, we should have a cancellation policy in place, or we should have sick, sick policy. All these different things are starting to be talked about more. And I know that there is still a lot of fear around creating that. And I mean, even in the last month, our salon has officially done like 50% of your appointment has to be prepaid. If you're a new client or if you're booking online, Um, and we've had a couple people call the salon and, you know, have to give their credit card over the phone or we'll send them an email if they want, but they chose to pay over the phone and it's not working. And then they're like, all of this for a fucking haircut. And, but it's like, if that's the attitude you're going to have, I don't want you in my salon. Right. So you have to really push against that fear and know that like, if you put those policies in place, like that person could have not come. And it would cost you money anyways. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I'm getting off topic again, but (laughs) this is where the good stuff happens. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, but these conversations are happening more and things are, are starting to shift. And it's nice to see a lot of salons continuing to make those shifts. So, um, but part of that was, is like getting into, uh, I mean, in the States, like salon suites are really, really popular. Um, I'm starting to hear and see that so much more on like social media um, and other people talking about it. And in Canada, it's like slowly making its way in. It's becoming um, popular in more of like the metropolitan cities and the bigger cities. And you kind of see like a little bit of it pop up here and there around Canada. Um, But it hasn't made the big splash that it has in the States. Um, and I think that to an extent it has become kind of a trend of becoming solo because it is glamorized on social media and it sounds cool. And oh, I get to do it all on my own and all that, but like, could you share a little bit of the reality of what goes into a salon suite? Because the reality as we're talking about, okay, well, I'm in a commission salon. I'm not happy. There are a lot of commission salons out there that can make you happy if you want, maybe in some cities you might not have as many options of places to go to. Um, But if you could share a little bit of the reality of like things that you need to know going into a salon suite. Absolutely. So yeah, just to be super clear, I have, when I taught, I went into a lot of different salons and I have met some amazing commission salon owners, people who are like, where were you? Like, I, (laughs) I want to work for you. I've met amazing people who work in commission salons. Um, there is such a benefit to being part of a team and there is such a benefit to being um, an employee sometimes. Um, There's, so yeah, salon suites are glamorized a lot. Um, (laughs) I will admit that I- It's so pretty. (laughs) It's, you're a boss babe and you're out on your own. You don't need anyone else. 
Um, <laughs> but you do, you actually need so many people in order to not drive yourself crazy in order to not work 24 seven in order to actually be successful. So I actually, on my Instagram, I have in the guide section, solo stylist resources and whatnot. And we were talking about, I have three posts in there. It was like the three stages of salon suite ownership. And the first one is like, you're kind of thinking about it. Right. And the second one is you sign the lease and you're like, oh my gosh, okay. It's happening. Like that's the startup point. That's the most excitement. That's when you're, you're not sleeping. You have paint on your purse, right? And like you're putting together Ikea furniture and you're just, you're in it. Um, and then there comes, you know, the first day, the first week, the first month, and then you finish the first year and you're like, I'm really tired. And, you know, I think that's when the evaluation kind of comes in the first like year or two. And there are a lot of struggles because you are the only person and in a, there is a sweet place here that does laundry for you, but not it's super rare. Um, mm -hmm. so you're the person doing the laundry in between clients. You're the person pre-booking them, checking them out. You're the person doing the actual hair. You're the person educating yourself, um, in a lot of cases, you're the person doing the taxes. You're the person doing the bookkeeping. Um, you're the person enforcing the policies. You have to write the policies, but then you also have to be the one to enforce the policies, which is so uncomfortable. There's no more. Can you walk somebody to the front desk and be like, well, see you later. <laughs> and like, let someone else take the heat. Um, if somebody doesn't like what you did, you're the one that has to deal with that too. So I think in the first year, if you haven't already outsourcing, um, services and outsourcing things that maybe you're not the best at. Right. So for me, I had, nobody teaches you how to do this. So I was like kind of making up systems for myself. I was like, okay, like you're supposed to keep all your receipts. <laughs> maybe I'll categorize these receipts. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll put them in envelopes and then maybe I'll total them on the envelopes. Like, what am I doing that for? I have no idea. I just felt more organized by totaling things. Right. And by putting things in smaller categories and it wasn't until, and I was like, well, I could get a bookkeeper and an accountant, but like they charge you money. And I think something you really have to ask yourself in that first couple of years is what's worth your time. And so my favorite outsourcing is obviously bookkeeping, accounting, and taxes. And I have some amazing people now that I don't even have to think about it anymore. Um, that growing pains. And then also, you know, finding your community and finding other people to be with. I mean, it can be really, really lonely being in a salon suite. Um, but if you do it right, you can find, you can find friends, you can find community, you can find education. And I think that's the key to keeping yourself inspired is kind of inspiring each other um, and supporting each other during those times. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's the more you are talking about it, it's like, it literally is a salon owner, yeah. like doing all the things that a salon owner would need to do. And so it just, I mean, I've had some conversations with people who um, work in commission salons and uh, are like, yeah, I just, I like the idea of just doing hair, doing what I love you know, obviously have to do like social media and all that kind of stuff, but then I can go home at the end of the night and not have to worry about anything. Right. And if that is something that you feel 
is what you um, would prefer, then like salon ownership or salon suite ownership is not for you, right? There is so many extra things to do on top of just doing hair. And I think that sometimes people forget that. A lot. I think what I found with a lot of people was um, moving into a suite, they kind of thought they were going to do the same job they had, but just in a private space. Mm -hmm. Like, I love my clients. I love my job. I just don't want to be around other people or I want to, I want to quote unquote, keep all the money. (laughs) That's not true. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Huge myth. You guys, it's a huge myth. Um, you're going to work twice as much for probably the same amount in the first year. Um, and have so much more stress on your plate Mm -hmm. until you figure out how to outsource that stuff. But yeah, I think that's the part that people don't think about. They think they're just going to go do their same job, do hair, you know, have their own little space decorating. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's the first thing everybody goes to is picking out paint colors and decor when it's like, that's we so should actually, it is, yeah, it's, but it's, I mean, that's the fun part, but yeah. it's like, you should actually be picking out your payment processor, your booking system and setting your policies and boundaries. Like those are the first three things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. Obviously like licenses and stuff like that are important too, but, um, you can pick a paint color a year in, if you want to, you can pick a paint color a weekend, a month in, but that's not going to make or break the success of your business. Mm-hmm. I swear. I have a, I have a pink wall. I think I have like two pink walls in my suite. I've had the same clients probably for the most part for the last six years. And people are still like, is that wall pink? <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> And it took me weeks to find the color. Like (laughs) nobody cares. (laughs) All they care about is me and whether or not their services are good and whether or not they feel safe with me and taken care of. And, you know, yeah, all those things are minor compared to the things that you actually have to do. So it's a little bit of a reality check when, um, when you get in and then you're like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) there is so much to do. Who didn't buy color this week? Like, where is my color? (laughs) And you're like, that's all my fault. Well, and that's exactly it is that you are the only one to blame for those things, right? So you have to constantly be on top of yourself. You have to keep yourself accountable for all those things. So like, how are some of the ways that you, um, that make it easier for yourself or keep you accountable? Like what are some of the processes that you put in place to keep yourself accountable, um, for running the space? Um, I think it is outsourcing. So especially for bookkeeping and accounting, outsourcing that I have a little bit of a system for when I do inventory and when I order, I try to, I order a lot of my color, um, versus me physically going places if I cut down on my physical need to go different places, I mean, it just saves me time. Um, what else? I do a lot of my retail online as well with affiliate links. Um, I don't know if that, is that a thing in Canada as well? It is, it is now, um, especially throughout the pandemic, like a lot of things changed with that to make it easier. Um, so there are salons or, or, um, not salons, um, like whole, wholesalers? No, what's the yeah. word? I think yeah, wholesalers. Yeah, beauty suppliers or whatever. Yeah, beauty suppliers. Yeah, so they they have um, affiliate links now. Um, but I'm actually curious on what your what your 
stance is on, on that, or your opinion is on that, because that is a conversation of like having retail in the salon versus getting it online. Like, how do you feel that that changes with your customers purchasing products because they're not getting it like right in their hands in that moment? So I will say there's no right or wrong to this. It's all a matter of your clients and how they like to purchase. Um, something I found with the pandemic was a lot of people started purchasing stuff online more. And I do have product on hand in the salon, not of everything I carry though. So I was thinking about it because I'm like, am I, am I being smart? Am I doing the best thing for my business right now? Is this making me money or is this costing me money or am I missing out on sales? The more I thought about it though, it's like, I only take one person at a time. And my clients actually only see me about once every three to six months. So I'm busy every day, but at the same point, I'm only seeing that, that one specific person every three to six months. What happens if that person needs, they run out of shampoo and they're not going to see me for another month. What happens, right? So how can I make it easier for them? Because with, with COVID stuff, our policies, like we've had our front door locked if I'm with a client, it's, it's really hard if a client walks up and is like, Hey, I got to buy shampoo. And then you're like, you know, elbows deep in foils. And you're like, um, but I'm also the front desk person. So I got to check you out, but you know, and then you have questions. So like, I, I just can't multitask that. Right. So how do I make this process more automated? Um, I, I do a lot of affiliate links and I actually, for me personally, I make really decent money off of the commissions. And something I hear from some stylists is like, well, the commission isn't as much. And if you're stocking something on your shelves, you actually have to sell that item twice in order to start making money off of it. So you purchase it once you're in the negative, you sell it, you're equal, then you have to restock it. So there you go again. And then you sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, for me, a lot of times in a, in a line, I can't sell every single item that comes in the line. So that also limits the lines that I'm able to carry. At least here we have a lot of lines have buy-in packages or requirements. Um, even if I just take a guess on what I think people might want, there's still stuff that'll sit there. So that's not, that's not making me any money. That's actually costing me money. Anything that sits on the shelves, that's your money sitting there. So that's the thing I like about affiliate links is that there's nothing sitting on my shelves. Um, and I literally just get a check from them every month, just a little deposit to my account. And I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to stock it. I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, there's a little bit more work with educating clients because you have to more, you know, conversations while you're doing their hair, you do need to have it on hand to use on them. And then you need to make it easy for them. So easy to find the link, easy to share the link, easy for them to know what to get. Um, social media is great for that though. We already use it. So we might as well use it to educate them about things that they can buy. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I, I think there is no right or wrong though. If you're stocking something on the shelves, you just have to ask yourself, do I have a client for every single one of these products? And can I turn over every single one of these products? And if the answer is no, then whatever sits on your shelves, you paid that much to have it. And a lot of times you're not actually profiting if you have money just sitting there. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a really, really great way to differentiate the two 
two ways you could go about it. And I think that there still 100% is a place for having product on your shelf. Um, but it totally depends on your salon model too. Right. So for a solo preneur, like that probably does make a lot more sense having less on your shelf and going more to, um, selling online. Um, if you're in a bigger salon, like a commission salon or booth rental, then having some product on the shelf probably does help to have that there, um, for all of your stylists to be able to utilize and, and educate, but, that's where you're going to figure out, do I keep the whole line? Do I pick pieces apart? What's selling? What's not? Because if there is product just sitting on your shelf, that is hundred percent costing you money by it not moving. Yeah. With commission salons and booth rental salons, you have, you have to think about the number of people that are able to shop it. Mm -hmm. So having multiple stylists and therefore having multiple clientele and even potentially walk-in people, your chances of turning over a line are so much higher than a single stylist. And like my appointments are a lot longer too. So I, the number of people I see isn't huge. I don't do a ton of haircuts. Mm -hmm. So my opportunity to sell through is so much smaller than multiple stylists with multiple different clients, different textures, people like your chances are much higher of selling in a bigger salon. You can also take like your hot sellers from a line. If the line allows you to do this, Um, and you can stock the popular things that, you know, are going to move through. Like I always have a dry shampoo on hand, um, a couple of shampoos and conditioners that I know people buy, and then you can stock the rest of the line via the links. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have like less than a handful of curly clients. It's just how it works out. Right. So do I need to be stocking five curl products? They're not going to go through curl product that fast. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, I like though how you're saying about not having clients come in as often. So having them maybe come in six months later and they're probably going to need product in between. And I love the option of having an affiliate link or an online store to be able to, for them to be able to purchase those products um, because that's the reality in any salon. And what are they going to do? They're probably going to go to Walmart and purchase something in the meantime, because they didn't have time. So making it really accessible for them to be able to um, purchase it and you being able to make money from it. And so actually just a a plug for next episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about online stores for commission salons. So, (laughs) so you'll get a little bit more on that, but um, so what are some ways that like you stay inspired? What are some things that you've learned over your career of, um, uh, working in a solo, solo salon? Um, and even just like, even before that, um, working commission salon or just throughout your entire career, what are some things that you've learned and something that you might like do a little differently or things that mistakes that you've made that you're like, I'm really glad that we made that mistake so I can learn from it. <laughs> Um, we don't have enough time to talk about all the mistakes I've made, Um, (laughs) but like I said earlier, I think every mistake has actually just been like a redirection and, you know, as much as I tried not to talk about them, I think they're now like, I don't want to say like badges of honor, but like they're, they're great learning experiences. Um, I, you know, I failed my state board test the first time, whatever. I mean, honestly, so it's, it honestly happens to so many of us and state boards do not determine whether or not you're a good hairstylist. It just determines whether or not, you know, to not pick the comb up off the ground, lick it and put it back on your client's head. Right. Like (laughs) that's really all it is here. Um, I got fired as being an assistant. I was a terrible assistant. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but I didn't even know what it meant to be one. Mm-hmm. And I, that was, that was a hard time because I felt like a total, like it was such an exciting thing because it was something I thought I always wanted. And then as it was happening, I realized it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I did eventually move into an, another salon, but I just felt like such a failure. Cause I like in my head, that was my, my dream job, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't talk about it for a long time, but I mean, I learned so much. I learned a lot from that person. Like I didn't end up working for him as a stylist, but I learned so much from him as like a business owner, him after my previous commission salon. So sounds super roundabout, but I did my previous commission salon assisting. Um, and then I actually went back to my abusive environment (laughs) when I moved back to Washington, but, um, the, the difference between those two owners was so, it was so obvious. And I think you don't really know that something was not great until you experience something that is, and that he taught me so much about policies and how to talk to clients, how to touch clients, um, just how to approach people and confidence. And I mean, I still learned so much. So I, I, although I didn't, it didn't like work out the way I thought it would in the beginning, it actually turned out to be such a great learning experience. And I actually carry a lot of the things that he taught me into my salon suite. So he used to say a lot, like you promote what you permit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that just runs into like, you know, late cancels sick cancels, uh, no shows. Like if you allow things, you're actually welcoming more of it into your life. And yeah, that, um, that was definitely one of my biggest failures, but also one of my biggest learning experiences, Mm -hmm. the way I stay inspired is to make myself slightly uncomfortable. Um, it's, it was really easy to stick with what I knew how to do. And once I got good at something just to stick with it. And like right now I'm, I'm 17 years into my career and I'm starting an extension certification. (laughs) Like, not something I ever said I wanted to do ever, <laughs> ever. I was like, uh, and I don't really think I'm going to do that. You know, like it's fine. I'll, I'll stick with color. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I decided to do it because I was like, I wanted, I want a different life. I want a different type of business. I, I see now how extensions are fitting more into an everyday life. Um, they're no longer just a bougie, only rich people can have it thing. It is something that can support everyday people that need more fullness. Um, especially as I age, I, I know, you know, we can lose density and with hair is confidence for a lot of people. So I'm excited to offer that. But as I'm starting it, I'm like, I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so happy to be terrible at something right now. Like, It's, it's very humbling. It's exciting. It's, it's exciting because you know, you can get better at something. Um, and I'm just laughing like the whole time. I'm like, this is my hands do not know how to do this, but it's, (laughs) it's keeping me engaged. It's keeping me excited. And I think it's keeping me inspired to see how this can add to my business and how this can add to my clients. Um, I think that's kind of the key also just finding educators that you resonate with. Um, I talked about this actually on another podcast recently where we were talking about how to find education in our industry. And 
it's really easy, especially when you first go out on your own in a suite to like try to absorb all the information you possibly can. And then you find yourself trying to learn from everyone and it becomes very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so finding educators that really speak to you in the way that they explain things and like the look that they are presenting, um, not with themselves, but with like the work that they do. I mean, it's as fun as it would be for me to learn like vivids and, you know, how to cut, cut a mullet and stuff like that. I might actually still take a class on how to cut a mullet, but it's in, it's back. <laughs> it's, it's totally in and, you know, it's out of my comfort zone. So that would be exciting. But like, I find educators now that like, I understand the way they present information and I kind of stick with them for a bit rather than trying to take as many classes as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, my education budget each year has gotten more specific for what I want to work on. It was mostly business last year. And so I invested a ton in like business education and, um, in myself as an educator. And then, you know, this year an extension certification is a big investment for me. So I know that rather than blowing my budget, I have like a couple smaller classes that I want to go to, um, that can kind of support that, but I don't need to take 50,000 balayage courses anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe if something stands out to me, but like, there is such a thing, it's not over-educating yourself, but you can really burn yourself out when you are chasing so much information, but not processing it or applying it. Absolutely. And I, we've had this conversation in a, an episode last year. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, about Oh, I think it was actually with Jody Brown um, when I had interviewed her and we were talking about, you know, you can find 5 million people who can teach balayage, right? And you'll take a piece from this person, you'll take a piece from that and from that and from that and that, and then you go to apply it and you're like, well, that's just not how I thought it was going to turn out, right? You ended up over-educating yourself and stimulating yourself in so many different ways that you overthought the entire process. And you get so lost in what you're doing. And that happens to me with haircuts because I'll take a piece from this and, oh yeah, that totally, if you bring it that way, that'll work. And then if you do this and that and that, so then it just doesn't, it never turns out the way that you really expected it to. Um, so if you have those like two to three educators that really resonate with you and you stick with the things that they are teaching you and they can teach you foundations of, of those certain things. And you can pick apart, like, I really like this out of this. I can really like that, but you're not overstimulating yourselves with a bunch of people. And some people who you don't even, you don't resonate with as an educator or um, you don't like their, their teaching style or whatever it is. And then you just kind of get lost and you're not processing it, as you said. Um, so just having those like two to three people and sticking with them and, and learning from them over time. And then when you're, you know, you've kind of like your brain is full with that, then you can move on to the next if you want, but you have to be able to process it. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, it's not to say to stick to only, you know, I only mm -hmm. learn from this person, but it's like, no. you know, yeah, take the class and then apply it. Mm -hmm. Don't what I did, I think, I don't know what year this was, but what I did was I took every class. And like you said, I, it overwhelmed me. And I almost like, I took so many classes that at the end of it, I was like, and I, now I have no idea how to do hair anymore. <laughs> like oh, it now taught me so many different things. None of it is what I was doing before. And I feel like I need to change everything. And so now I feel like I don't know what I'm even doing anymore. And I think just 
the, I think the digestion of education and the application of it is something that a lot of us miss out on because I mean, we can watch reels and TikToks from hair educators all day long and on a larger scale classes kind of become like that where you're like, I just want to go and I want to see it and I want to be around other people. And, um, I want to learn from this person to say, I learned from this person Mm -hmm. and, but in reality, it's like, how great would it be if you learned from that person, but then you went back to the salon and you could actually do that. That's where the, the return on your investment comes in. You're throwing $800 at a class or $1,000 at a class. The return on the investment is when you can go back and you can apply those skills and make your work better mm-hmm. versus just taking that class. And then you take another class, and you take another class, and you take another class. And then you're like, but my work's still the same. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And I think that what happens with that, and I actually made a reel about this a few months ago, is you take that class and you go apply it and it didn't really work out the way you thought it would. So you take another class and you apply it and it didn't really work out. Like those educators took hundreds of hours to be able to perfect what they're teaching you. Mm-hmm. So you have to take that class, apply it, and then apply it again and apply it again until you've mastered it. So if you keep on just trying to take class after class and learning the same thing over and over, and a lot of like what we're teaching is all very similar. They may have just tweaked something here and there. So if you're constantly trying to like figure it out by taking other classes, investing more money into it, you might just be wasting your money. Like you have to practice and practice and practice to get to the level that you want. Yeah. Or confusing yourself with people who don't connect with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there, I I'm sure everybody can think of this, like think of a class that you went to that you were like, ah, like, I just understand you. Like, I understand the language you are speaking and I feel like I get it now. And then there's some other classes that you go to and it's like a magic show where you have no idea what the, what the heck (laughs) happened. And you're like, well, that was really cool. And the end result was really great, but it was so elaborate and so extensive that I know, I know for a fact, I am not the stylist that's going to put four different types of bleaches in one packet. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. It's not, I'm too, I'm too, I don't even know what for that, but please don't do it. (laughs) I mean, there are some educators that are like super into color correction where they're like, I'm going to do this here and 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 this here. And you're like, you lost me at the first one. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's some other people like my, my brain likes simplification. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I try to help people with when I'm doing like mentorship is like, how do we make this easier for you? How do we automate this? How do we outsource this? How do we make your life and like your daily task list smaller? Um, and the same thing with doing hair color. It's like, how do I take this head of hair and get it to where I want to go in the most simplified, direct, logical way? How do I not hate myself at the end of this? How is this not going to be an eight hour process, right? Like how do I make this easier for everyone involved? Um, And I think there are definitely educators out there that I found that I like, oh my gosh, it's like, you're reading me the instruction manual and it's perfect. I totally get it. Right. It's like the translator. And so I think it's just finding the person that clicks with your brain. Cause there are some people out there that would like love that, like four different bleaches in a packet color correction class. Um, there's some people out there that love the very showy stuff and they, they still can connect with it. I think it's a a different type of learner maybe, Mm -hmm. um, I think I like to see it, but also hear it. And 
you know, maybe you just need to see it or maybe you just need to hear it or maybe you need the experience. So it's, it's just finding what you're compatible with because Mm -hmm. what I, the educators that I love may not be the educators that click with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and that's the thing. We're all different types of learners. Like, yes, we can all be creative people, but some people in the hair industry are not creative people. They're very like analytical people or structured. And so I'm somebody who will like, look at this piece. I'm like, oh yeah, I can paint this and it'll lay like this. And I'm just going to like do it here and there and there. And so, um, whereas some people are like, I need it like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And this is like the exact way it's going to happen. So, um, everybody is just so different, but awesome. (sighs) That's how you stay inspired though, guys, be uncomfortable and find the people that click with you and apply what you learn before you move on and try to overwhelm your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the beauty of it is really just putting yourself out of the comfort zone. And the beautiful thing about this industry is there are so many ways to be able to do that. (laughs) There are so many different things that are happening in the industry now, so many different conversations, so many different techniques or um, services that you can offer. Like there's so many different ways that you can, um, you can mix things up. So awesome. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for being on here. Um, I would love to finish this off with, I know we've kind of already shared like a bunch of secrets, um, more mistakes, but those are just, that's humanizing the industry. But I would love as this is a secret life of a hairstylist for you to share a secret of you. The (laughs) only thing I could think of when you told me that you were going to ask me to share a secret is, um, my deep, dark secret that I have virgin hair. That's a lot to take in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not on purpose. I promise. But I think it's rare in our industry and it's kind of weird because people are like, wait, what? <laughs> Especially, Sorry, uh, your Instagram handle. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very surprising. Hey, my last balayage was probably five years ago. <laughs> I don't paint myself. So that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> that is a great secret to share. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, did you have any last things you wanted to share? Um, and with that as well, uh, how people can find you. The best place to find me is Alicia loves balayage. It's a L I C I a. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. I also offer free resources in my bio. So if you like worksheets, goal sheets, um, or if you ever just want to DM any random questions, I am definitely somebody that answers DMs and I am open to connecting with people. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Anytime. It was good talking to you. Yeah. And we'll, oh, we didn't do four hours. That's impressive. (laughs) We'll do it later. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, girl.